Another edition of Cinema Files Radio. It always seems to be a special edition, but today is especially special. We have Charles Carpenter on the line today. Hello, Charles, our co-host of Cinema Files Radio. Hi, Charles. How are you doing? I am great, Steve. How are you? Missed you last week. So glad to uh, so glad to be back on board for the adventure. I'm glad you're here. Ed Parker and I both miss you. But that was a great conversation with him. He was a very affable human being, very likable. Had a very good conversation about martial arts. I know that's one of our, one of our both of our, uh, you know, passions in life. So it was very nice talking to him about that stuff. Absolutely, it was uh, it was great. And as I as I said, your questions were very poignant. He gave some great answers, and um and and not just about the martial arts. You know, spreading into every aspect of his world, his art. You know, a lot of people may not know that he's uh, he's as accomplished an artist as he is. So it was it was just a, it was just a great a great interview. It was nice. It was nice to see how a lot of these martial artists are not just martial artists, but they're also artists and, and uh, writers, and, and they do all sorts of different things. And this is classic going back to the old days of martial arts and being a warrior. That martial arts by itself was not everything. It was also uh, calligraphy and, and poetry and tonka and and, uh, and and all kinds of different things, teaching and medicine. And nowadays, people just want you know kick and punch, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think uh, Mr. Ed Parker Jr. made that very clear. Uh, oh, absolutely. And you know, it's it's funny because if you break down the definition of the word kung fu, it means good hard work. So you can have kung fu in every aspect of your life. And right. I think that and I think that that's what a lot of especially a lot of young people today coming up they see oh okay MMA this now I'm not knocking MMA what I'm saying is people see the end result they don't see the journey that got these warriors there they don't see the fullness and the richness of the experience uh as opposed to just oh kick punch kick punch elbow smash you know uh engage on the ground so that right. you know that it was really really enlightening what the what what you and he shared with everybody. So thank you for that. It was fun. That was really nice. Uh, I've been, I've been speaking a little bit to uh, Jason Momoa. We want to get him on the show. Um, he'll be the new Aquaman in the DC universe of of the Justice League. So I'm I'm greatly looking forward to that. Also, if if you guys want to see uh, Jason Momoa is also directing his first uh, first film right now. So we're very much looking forward to that. Uh, I. We, they just had a leaked trailer last night for the Justice League, excuse me, for the new Batman versus uh, Superman. And we all know it's, it's fake. It, it looks like it's fake. One of the reasons why is that Interscope, um, Interscope looks like it's going to executive produce it inside, the, inside of the uh, fake uh, screening, but it, right. Interscope is not going to executive produce. That's how people know it's phony, but it looks fantastic. What it does is it shows you an image of Batman when... Uh, Superman is first getting the signal from General Zod saying, you're not alone. And it's Batman looking at his monitor saying, you're not alone. And what does Batman have to do next? So I, right. I knew they were going to take that perspective already, but if you look at the trailer and look up like a fan-made trailer or fan trailer for, for Batman versus Superman, you will dig this, uh, this trailer. If, if, if it isn't the real trailer, it should definitely go in that direction. Are you looking forward to the Batman Superman movie? I am. 
I am because again I'm a, a you know a, a big a big comic book fan and have been so for decades and um, you know I'd like to see what they do with it. It always it always kind of disappoints. Obviously, and to this I hail directly to uh, uh, X Men Last Stand when it just when the movie doesn't deliver what you want and and it kind and it lets you down. So you know right. they've got a lot of big shoes to fill. Two of the most iconic superheroes in all of uh, the lexicon of, of comic books. So, you know, let's see what they can do. You know, they're 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 shooting for the stars, but it, it's I'm I'm hoping for the best. I'm 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 optimistic. You know, I I, I can give you two little instances. And by the way, Charles, your your phone is, is clicking back and forth. But um, I can give you two darn examples that kind of aim you in that direction, which is Heath Ledger. Everybody laughs yeah. at Heath Ledger. When he was going to be the Joker, and he was he was fantastic. He was amazing. So it it, it kind of teaches you a lesson on how to be a little more conservative about your opinions. And you saw and you saw this movie, X Men: Days of Future Past, and you saw Quicksilver, and we all saw the Empire picture of Quicksilver and how he looked like with his 1970s uniform, his gray you know sparkle bannered outfit with his headgear, and we thought this is stupid. Yeah. This is going to be the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then you see it, and you're like, this is the best part of the movie. Oh, it was absolutely it was absolutely brilliant, and yeah. you know, had had he stayed in the rest of the film, the film would have lasted about five more minutes. <laughs> you know, because he he could have just he could have just handled it all. Okay, yeah, to do, please. Okay, we're good. Exactly. <laughs> I I love I love that part, but see that that's one of the that's one of the things about, and I heard nothing about Jason Momoa for for. Um, for um, Aquaman, of course, a lot of people were saying, you know, of course, it should be a Polynesian-type human being who should be uh, as this particular character. Uh, whereas I, I've never really seen it that way. I think it should be anybody. It should be. But I think Jason Momoa is a fantastic character. I, I know that they hit him up for a couple other Marvel movies, me, or, excuse me, a couple other superhero movies, meaning Marvel. I think they wanted him to be Groot. And then if they wanted him to be another person in Guardians of the Galaxy, I think it's Dax, I don't remember. But they wanted him to be those characters. And he said that he didn't want to be that character because it made him into more of a Mongolian, more of a barbaric type character. And he's already played that character in the past. So he made that statement. And I don't think he really could get any better in the DC universe other than, you know, for his character being Aquaman. I mean, Aquaman is one of the top tier characters of Justice League, being next to, you know, the Flash and Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. Uh, Cyborg is going to be in the movie as well. So that's, that's going to be pretty darn interesting of a film. Uh, no, I know Avengers 2 is, is going to be a gigantic film. As well, you know, you're on the Scarlet Witch, you can have Quicksilver, but seeing it, the new DC Universe film, that movie's going to be insane. I don't see how anybody can walk out of there without a headache. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think Jason Momoa is a great choice for Aquaman because, again, I... I don't look at superheroes as solely the, okay, they have to be the Caucasian middle American ideal in order to portray who this being is. Um, so, you know, kudos to the studios for moving forward with him. And, you know, you're right. He, he played, he already played one of the most iconic barbarians there is out there in Conan. So for him to, to play another brawler, I can see right. from the actor, point of view, you know, where does this take me? Where, you know, where do, where do I grow from this character? So. Right. Absolutely. I'm very looking, very much looking forward to Wonder Woman. 
Uh, Joss Whedon was penned to do uh, Wonder Woman a long time ago before before any of the Avengers films, obviously. And he penned, he penned it for about $100 million, I believe. He wanted it to be a World War II Wonder Woman flick. And they did not agree with him. As a matter of fact, they pretty much fired him off that kit. Uh, and then he had to move on and do the Avengers for even more money. Right? I wonder right. how many of them are kicking themselves in the ass knowing that Joss Whedon was on your payroll and could have been the godfather of the DC Universe as well. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, absolutely. That's what there, there are so many stories where you have a great idea, especially, and this is something that, you know, not to preach, but to all the, all the people listening who want to make it in the entertainment industry, you have story after story of people, of projects that are now uh, amazingly iconic pieces of cinema being turned down, people being, being shoved away. No, you're not right. You're not this. You're not good enough. You're not whatever enough but you stay the course and you continue to move along and all of a sudden things, you know, things open up, maybe not in the way that you had anticipated, but they do, they do open. And uh, right. so that's, you know. Well, you know, we, I've been looking at, uh, you know, recent movies, you know, I, I very much love movies coming out soon or news on movies coming out very, very soon. I, I adore this. Stuff. Of course it changes. You know, almost every day it changes. Um, but we're looking at the the the, uh, the Avengers film right now, and, and in which direction it's going. And Mark Ruffalo just recently mentioned that they're gonna they're really looking forward to a new Hulk film. So that's that's very interesting to me. Uh, I'm looking forward to a new Hulk film. Of course, there's two types of Hulk Hulk movies. One is Hulk Smash, and the other one is Hulk Hulk Planet. I don't know if you know Planet Hulk at all, but that's when the Avengers yeah. send Hulk into space, right? They send Hulk into space, and then he goes to an alternate world. But what, what Mark Ruffalo was saying was one of the reasons why that would not be a good starter movie is that it's basically Hulk being Hulk against other Hulk Hulks. So it's, it's really just a monster movie. Right. So I can, right. I can see that as maybe a fourth film. I think the next film should definitely be more of a Bruce Banner, kinder, you know, the old piano... I think that's the, I think that's the direction hey, I, they definitely go in. I still, I, still, I still whistle that song when I walk down the street sometimes. <laughs> when you're hitchhiking? Exactly. Whenever I'm leaving my old life behind. Oh, you know what's great about that TV show, The Hulk? Listeners, if you've, if you've listened to The Hulk TV show, I'm pretty sure you're, you're either aware of this or you've totally missed it and it's going to get you. But the Hulk turns into the Hulk after he misses changing a tire in the TV show. And I love that about the TV yeah. show. <laughs> I, can't, I can't change tire. And then he just turns into the Hulk. It's amazing. Hey, we, we've all been there. <laughs> well, it made sense in the Avengers when he said, I'm always mad. Like, oh, well, that, that makes sense there. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was looking at all these all these films, and, and I was looking at all, you know, some of the five best and worst choices for co-stars and, and enemies and bad guys in films. And one of them okay. was Heath Ledger. And Heath Ledger was mentioned because nobody thought that he was going to look to portray the Joker as well as he did, he, even though now he's synonymous as being the Joker, and anybody who tries to be the Joker seems to be laughable compared to this character, which is very, very interesting. Right. And uh, you look at characters like uh, 
uh, even Harry Potter. You go back to Harry Potter, and they, they thought that he, he should have been cast, or Hermione should not have been cast that way. It's very interesting about public opinion and how they see films in their minds, unlike books. You know, we grew up with books and, and seeing novelizations and wanting to see them being made in the films and then being kind of disappointed when we see them in cinema. But now we have fanboys and fangirls who are in comic books who have expectations. And their expectations are a little different, different because ours was more literary. I'm not saying comic books are not literary. I'm just saying they're, well, they're not novels. They're not right. thousand-page books. So they're, they're, it's a little different, and you can change the story a little bit. And I'll give you an example. In the Fantastic Four, the new Fantastic Four coming out right now, um, uh, you know, the, the woman is white and the man is black, and they're, they're both brother and sister, and they haven't explained yet why the race change is there. But it doesn't make it, it doesn't it doesn't change. The Human Torch for what forty years now, fifty years now, has always been white, and now they're basically going to bust an Othello, and he's going to be black. And at the beginning, people had a question about it, and they were going, you know, is this right? I don't know how this is going to play out. But in the end, I don't think anybody really cares. In the end, I think people just want a good story. They just want to see things work out. They also want to see things make sense. Unlike, you know, Tim Burton's um, Catwoman, where she falls out of window. It's a very different origin story. Right. So I, I want to see these, these uh, new stories come out, and I want to see changes. I want to see new things, new changes. What do you, what do you think of that, uh, basically like the, the Fantastic Four and how they're making changes there? And it, what, what are your thoughts? If you honor the essence of the comic book, if you honor the essence, and, and not just comics, but in, in this particular instance because we're talking about the Fantastic Four, but if you honor the essence of the story, you know, and you really do your due diligence to say, I'm going to bring the best representation of what these themes are. You know, those themes that carry the book, the literature, when you read it, it's like, yeah, this is what I came into this book to, or this, this comic to, to, to feel. If you can honor that essence, then I'm all for allowing for creative license and, uh, and, and for artistic freedom to allow you to deviate from what everybody thinks is the norm. Because, you know, what, what was the norm 40 years ago is not the norm now. So, you know, tip a, give a tip of the hat to where it began, honor the beginnings and the roots of that foundation, but then push forward. And, and like you said, if you can give me a cohesive story, if you can give me a story that makes sense, I'm with you all the way. And then I look forward to seeing, well, why is she white and he black and their and their brother sister how does that how does that play out because that's the world in which we live you know and to right. and to say otherwise is to deny the is to deny the reality of truth so right. give me yeah give me give me something new give me something that that uh makes me think that that uh is a little bit shocking or, or off the beaten path so long as you honor where the where the roots are, what the what was so key in making this interesting to, uh, with which to begin. Right, right. Well, great conversation with Charles Carpenter today on on comic movies and movies in general. We had the great Adam Beck on today. Adam Beck is a, is a fantastic cinematographer. We're very much looking forward to talking to him. I, on this show, we, we don't really want to talk to just people who are in movies or 
or, or actors, excuse me, or, or directors. So we want to talk to producers. We want to talk to script writers. We want to talk to writers. We want to talk to ghost writers. We want to talk to cinematographers. We want to talk to SADs and PAs. We want to talk to people who work in the, in the film or media industry and discuss with them their, their plight, their, their journey, and, and positive stories of how they got where they get going and, and where the future is looking. I think it's very, uh, very important. The one thing that's kind of a drawback for me, Charles, in, in the cinema and the film world is so much negativity. Uh, people yeah. always seem like when they want to give an opinion, it should be sometimes, an, or at least most of them, a negative opinion. That's really hard. Uh, you, you know how many people make it to be stars? Yada, yada, yada. So it has a tendency to be extremely negative. In your thoughts, Charles, I mean, you've been in this for quite a while doing acting. What are some fantastic ways to get out of that uh, circle-minded perspective of, of being negative and really in, in, in a field that should be fun and enjoyable? Well, you know, ultimately it's, um, in my humble opinion, and you and I have spoken at great length uh, about this, um, I, I really feel that people are so busy looking at uh, taking the grass is greener perspective, you know, oh, well, look at that guy's grass. Oh, what is, a, what is that? The, is that Kentucky blue over there? That looks great. That's way better than my grass over here. What's, what's he got, what's, what kind of fertilizer is that? Oh, that smells good. Oh, we've got to get some of that. So you're so busy looking at the other person's yard, you, you, you wind up, you know, cultivating nothing but weeds in yours, you know. Right. And so it's and, – and it's it, the same is true in martial arts. I think the same is true in every industry. It's just there is such a, a microscope on entertainment because everybody – this is where we all go to seek respite from the problems of our days. We, we go right. to be entertained. And a lot of times you hear from people who have, for lack of a better word, given up on their – their dreams or their goals, and it's just like, well, no, man, you can't do that. It's too hard. No, don't, don't, right. don't bother. You know, don't bother trying. Uh, because right. misery loves company, and I think, I think just as much as misery loves company, uh, you know, positivity breeds success, and it loves its own company. It's easy to be yes. miserable. It's easy, and right. and this is something that uh, that uh, Mr. Uh, Ed Parker Jr. hearkened to last weekend in your conversation with him. Um, I, I, I keep going back to it because you guys out there, if you didn't hear it, do yourselves a favor. Go back, uh, check, out, check out the podcast with, uh, with Ed Parker Jr. It'll, it'll blow you away. Great job uh, done by Steve uh, chatting with him. Um, but he said, you know, there's so much, there's so much ego in martial arts and in, in the entertainment industry. There's so, there's so much vitriol, for lack of a better word. And it's easy for that ego, it's easy for that energy to push you uh, into, into a negative direction, someplace that, that you don't want to go. So everybody who's in the business, everybody who's trying to get into the business, remember you're doing this because you love to do it. So long as you have that love, you will be successful. It probably won't be manifested in the way you immediately think because we all think red carpet, pictures, paparazzi, all that. And hey, listen, you guys want to have the paparazzi, that's on you. I, I, would, just like the, uh, I would just like the nice house on the hill. You know, I'll take that. But, um, <laughs> but you, get, you know, you get, you, you get there because you love to do it. And you have to love the doing 
of it. It's, you know, it's not everybody we talk to. Right. Uh, you know, Adam, whom, whom I'm really looking forward to chatting with today, he's, he's doing it because he loves it, and, and he's paid his dues, and he's a successful person. But in that, in that success comes the magic, comes the story. He stayed with it, so you, you have to stay the course. And let the people who are going to be negative be negative, because they're going to, they're going to try to take you down anyway. So don't give them any more energy. Don't give them any more power over, over you. Well, we have the fantastic Adam back on today. We can't wait to talk to him right now. So we're going to put you on hold, listen to a little, little music here, and uh, we'll get on Adam. You know, Charles, I really love that Spanish guitar in the background. Oh, it's great. And, you know, being a, having some of the Spanish blood in me myself, it's a, it harkens me back to my youth. <laughs> I love it when your mom asked if I remembered who she was. Uh, how can yeah. I forget who your mother is? <laughs> Strong personalities <laughs> like that. You never forget who they are. It's like my mom. Yeah. You give me a break. Anyways, we got the... Good. We get, the, we get the fantastic Adam Beck on today. We're, we're going to talk to him right now. Um, we want to talk about movies and, and his life and, and what's going on with that. Uh, everybody, help me with this. Clap here. Adam Beck. Hello, Adam Beck. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. Great. Thank you for having me on. It's, I'm excited. Uh, thank you for being on yeah, the show. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Hey, at, and, you know, we look at your IMDb. We, we look at your life. You know, we, you're friends with Sean Pacino and a couple of other guys that we're connected to as well. Cinematography is, is your game. Yes. Is cinematography your, your future? Is it your past? How do we start off with this thing? Your cinematography is uh, a very specific thing. I, I myself am a photographer, so it's... Did you start off as a photographer and go into that field? Or? Well, I've always had a desire to create images. So uh, I would say for the most part, yeah, that's pretty much what it was. I did a little acting when I was younger. My brother's a member of SAG-AFTA, but for me, it's um, it's always been creating the image and telling a story with the camera. So, yeah, it's it's passion. I'm, um, I consider it a discipline because it's a craft. So, it's something that um, you never, I don't want to say you never master, but, you know, uh, right. it's something that there's always something new to learn and uh, you'll never know everything. So, it's a continual learning experience. I'll learn this and do this until the day I die. So hopefully it's a very long well, time from we now, get, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, before we get into trespassing the terror and, and, and 
the Shrine and Blood Drive, which is which is a film that you're, you're filming right now. Uh, how did how did you how did you begin in this whole thing? I mean, a lot of us began in drama class and and, and in school or watching movies. Is there is there any one particular field or thing that inspired you to be the person you are today? Um, that's tough. Um, I think it's just a culmination of things. My um, yeah, I did take drama in, in high school and. Uh, I was in a musical when I was in junior high that my brother was in because he was in college. He's a little bit older than I am. Um, and he's always been involved in the arts, so it's kind of something that um, I was really interested in because he was in it. And then, you know, just looking at the visuals. And every now and then uh, we had an uncle that had a video camera when my brother would borrow it and mess around with it. And I remember just doing a shot when I was in junior high. With, it was a low-angle shot behind a car in the street. And I was like, this is really cool. This looked like you know an animal. It could be like a horror film type thing. And um, So... You know, really didn't take off until I got, I would say, into college. Took some classes, and then I also just uh, uh, my dad bought a camera and, uh, and just started messing with that. And you know, it uh, just kind of grew from there. So that's how it's been for right. me. What do so you, uh, family? What, who, go, go ahead, Bye, Charles. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. No, I just wanted to. What What was it about? capturing images that because you know so many people get cameras and you know, and we talk to a number of directors or whatnot who say yeah you know I got a camera when I was a kid and I started playing around but your energy your passion seems to be so much more specific what was it about capturing images that uh, that caught your attention well it's you know it, just to compose for example composing a shot you can compose it uh, with, with uh, you know, with a certain size, talent, or an object, or whatever it is, and you can get to say one thing, and then you change that angled camera slightly by raising it or lowering it or moving it to the side or, let's say, moving it through the shot, and that composition changes something else. It can mean something else. And just be able to, I don't want to say manipulate, because that sounds like that's negative, but, you know, it'll change someone's feeling and or meaning of that image it's much different than just taking a still photograph, and it's you know you're you know you're doing this motion, so you're doing 24 pictures at one time, at one second during one second. So it it uh, seems so powerful, and it's it's great, and it's a chance for you to tell who you are um, as a person as well. So you know, you're putting your own experiences in these shots, and how you tackle a story, um, or how you tell that story, or you know try to try to give that director's vision to those images, but you're also doing that with your own experiences. And so doing that with a camera seems pretty darn cool. So for, for our audience, can you tell us uh, in your own words what is a cinematographer's job? For those of us who may not know or may be unsure, what is a DP? What do you do? Well, the role of DP is to tell a story that that script is is trying to get across. Uh, you're you're putting a vision, or you're putting an image to the director's vision, and so you do that through lighting, uh, you do that through uh, composition, uh, you do that through camera movement, and so you're using these tools uh, to help, you know, tell the director's vision of that script of that story, and that's your that's the most basic foundation of being a cinematographer. There's other things that go on beyond that, like having a crew and uh, you know being a, a boss or you know delegating. De- I'm sorry, not delegating. Um, I'm 
try to say that word, and I'm going to mess it up, so I'll just uh, try a different one. Uh, just give me instructions I I and direction. I thought I was the only one who had a glass of wine for breakfast this morning. I guess it's all, <laughs> I guess it's all um, uh, So giving directions to the uh, your crew and working along with it. Because, you know, you work with these people day in and day out that they become part of your family in a sense. So, you know, you develop shorthands and you'll be able to work faster and things of that nature. So it, it's more of, um, you know, you, you also have this political landscape on a set as well that uh, you have to deal with as a cinematographer. But um, it's being on sets the, uh, is the greatest experience I've ever had. And uh, it's uh, I'm glad that it's my career and I love doing it. So it's a uh, very happy person when I'm doing it. It does, doesn't mean it's always easy. Um, it's uh, it doesn't mean that you know every day is peachy and that you know you're you know you're you're you know you're just oh I'm so excited because I did this. There's days that are don't go right and um, that are tough to deal with, but you know day in day out for the most part everything's you know there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. Well, you you have the director and the director has a tendency to be the you know lead singer, and then you have the the. Writer who I tend to be the drummer sets the bass sets sets the rhythm, and the cinematographer has tends to either be the bassist or what have you. Uh, how do you see the cinematographer yourself in the way of filmmaking and, and in the power struggle? Because a lot of writers, like in Quentin Tarantino, he would say that to be a writer is to be God. You're creating you're creating the world, and if you want full control, you you need to be sort of a writer. And directors sort of feel the same way, whereas they can direct and write their same projects. Cinematographers, when they go into a film, what are, they, what are their mainstays? Are they more cooperative with the directors and the writers, or are they more collaborative? How does that function work out for you? Well, you're, you're, usually you're the director's right-hand man. Um, you know, it's, they need you to get their vision on the screen and to, for it to be told. And so um, I, I see myself as somewhat as a servant to the director, to the story, um, but I also see some, uh, myself also as someone who uh, also have, has to have the ability to um, delegate responsibilities to individuals to get that story or that vision accomplished on the screen. So it's it's uh, it's it's a combination of both. It's it's very interesting. Most I've I would say ninety five percent of the DPs I've met um, are very down to earth, very kind, very nice people, and um, I would say probably are one of the Few people's, uh, I would say few people, but I would say more than likely there's, they have the less ego of anybody, um, and it's, it's great because other DPs will share information um, with other DPs. It's not, uh, it's not so much of a competition. Um, it's you're, you're rooting for your fellow DP on their work, and you're excited to see what they do, uh, and it's not necessarily as I think Charlie mentioned earlier, grass is green on the other side type thing. Um, so it's, it's. DPs are a little different breed, I think, to a certain degree. And I think we have to be for the position we're in, um, to have to have some kind of delegation to others below us and other departments, but also just but also be able to be a servant um, to the director. There is a, there's a lot of cinematographers who work with the same directors consistently. Woody Allen has his own cinematographer, and Quentin Tarantino has his own cinematographer, J.J. Abrams, Joss Whedon, all these really, really famous popular directors have the same cinematographers over and over and over again. What is your feeling on that? Is, and is that a relationship you're looking for yourself? Um, I don't know if um, I say look for it. Uh, it would be nice to have to a certain degree. 
Um, you know, you have Chris Ranola for a long time at Wally Fister until he became a director. Uh, and then you have, you know, currently David Fincher. It's got uh, Jeff Conaway, who happens to be my favorite director of photography. Um, so it's, yeah, there's these relationships that build up over time. And it's usually due to it's easier to work with or they have the same uh, palette, um, visual instincts, things of that nature that kind of create that relationship. It doesn't necessarily mean that if one director goes from one DP to another that they're somehow the DPs failed on the previous film, and it just means that they're looking for something else. And I think there's, there's, there's a lot of directors that I go off, and they just continually find different DPs. But I think for some people it is, it's just an easier... Uh, it's just easier to work with them when you work with it over and over again. You develop that shorthand, uh, and they become family. So it's almost like, you know, they're an adopted brother, you know what I mean? That's in a sense that, uh, you know, it's, this is my brother. I'm always going to have my brother in a type of thing. So um, right. it, it, I don't know if I'm necessarily looking for it. Um, for me, it just I just want to continue to shoot and make, make movies and tell stories. So it's, right. uh, it's it could be with any director. And I think there's, for DP, I think it's interesting to have different directors because you learn something new and helps you be a better filmmaker. So there's an advantage to having um, different directors and different DPs because you get different takes and different experiences and things. So, But also it make, does make it easier when you've worked with someone for a long time. So, Is there a medium that you enjoy more than the other in terms of uh, commercials? Because I know you've worked on commercials or features or TV shows. Is there one that you like more than the other uh, and, and can you touch on what some of the, the differences are? Sure, absolutely. Um, I love narrative filmmaking, so that's what I prefer. That's what I uh, kind of hone in my target. But um, there's advantages to shooting commercials, and there's great joy. I mean, I like to shoot a lot of things, but if I had a choice, narrative would probably be my top one. But for commercials, what's great about commercials is that you're able to take chances with commercials to a certain degree more often because... Um, they give you more opportunities because you do commercials. With a, a, it's you know you shoot a commercial it can be a day or it can be three days, and so your project's over with. So you can you know compos- uh, when it comes to composition, you can be try something different or lighting or things of that nature, and you get to see that immediate uh, result of that per se. But when you're looking at working on a movie, it's much longer to produce. You know it takes longer to see that those results and how well those experiments came out. Um, because when every time you're experimenting with something, you're you're you know you're increasing your knowledge base. Um, as a cinematographer, so so for commercials, in a simplistic way, is you know there's more opportunities to try new things or try different things and experiment. But with features, I think you're able to try. You're able with those experiments. You're supposed to experiment. Um, you can go further than an experiment because when they're commercial, if you're doing like a service or a product or things of that nature, you know those clients want that image of that product to look as pristine as it, it can be. So you're limit, limited in how moody you can make it, in this, in, depending on the story, in most aspects. But when it comes to shooting, shooting narrative, you know you can make the image as dark as you want to a certain degree, and uh, you know that's that's been something that's been going on since the '70s with um, Gordon Willis with The Godfather. So you know making things and you know not lighting everything in the room and having things go black and not seeing the actor's complete face and. You know, it's it's with features you can you have that ability to do that. But you know, if you had to put a product in a commercial for a third to second spot, and you can only see, you know, half the logo. Oh no, they're not going to let you do that at all. Absolutely not. Right. So it, that's you know, I, I, I remember I prefer, when I, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, 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 so I do prefer 
And sure, I do prefer uh, narratives because I think when you do experiment, you can go farther with experimentation versus commercials. You do have more opportunities to do it, but you're just kind of limited in those experimentations as well. You know, a lot of us started off in filmmaking, at least. A lot of us started off doing pictures, doing photography. Uh, I mm-hmm. myself started with photography, and, and I, I knew it would lead in cinematography because cinematography is really just a lot of 35 millimeter shots themselves. You yourself, did you? I'm sorry, I think I lost you there. Uh, I'm I'm here right now, Paul. I'm here, and the que- the question was is, is that we start that I started off with photography, going into filmmaking and what have you, mm-hmm. and I wanted to know did did photography inspire you as well, and how far did it go? Uh, as far as uh, did you did you ever try to do photography as a profession? Uh, see, photography to me was just cinematography, but just slower. So I tried to do a narrative as well. Did you ever try that as well? No, I I, I mean I. You know, I had taken classes in college and things of that nature. I remember going to Washington, D.C. and shooting some black and white, you know, Washington right. Monument and Lincoln and things of that nature. It was just, you know, how do you, had going to D.C., being an American, going to D.C. and just, you know, feeling the history is pretty amazing as a citizen of this country. So, you know, I, right. it, but then try to capture that in an image and try to tell that story in a single image is, it can be pretty challenging to a certain degree. And so it's great about, Cinematography is that you know, you I think it gives you more breathing room to do th- more things, tell more stories that way. Um, right. I think from it goes, I don't say that photography kind of jumped into it. It was just the ability to having uh, you know motion imaging is is uh, is kind of what I've always strived, striven, drove for, I guess you could say. But I, I've never thought of myself sure. as a I'm going to be a photographer. It's always kind of been, uh, I want to make movies. Right. So, but, it, you know, in, in some degree, it's, it's, very, it's very similar um, from photography to cinematography. You know, the, there's a lot of, the foundation's very similar. Uh, it's just, you know, you're moving a camera and you're doing a lot more pictures at one time. So, you know, there's more technical aspect to cinematography uh, and there's a different curve to it, but um, it, it does, it, it is. I would say it's it's a tougher job to a certain extent because right. there's so much more things involved in it. Right. You know, I, I remember when I went to production production meetings like the, the LA Convention Center for production for camera work and what have you. And the cameras when I was younger were incredibly expensive. They're going up to a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, at two hundred thousand dollars, four hundred thousand dollars. And now cameras are literally three thousand dollars for a for a black magic four K or a red scarlet, what have you. Have you found that since prices have gone down that cinematography is becoming more of an open field for other people to get involved in, or do you find that people are still intimidated by that field and stay away? That's interesting. Um I, I don't know if I find it more intimidating. I I think it's given the masses and more opportunities, so you're allowing more people to get into the field, but I think what you what we're finding is what we'll find is um, cinematography is hard work. It's not easy, and it's it being a craft um, and, and a discipline. It's just not owning a camera, but it's what you do with that camera and how much energy and effort you put into learning how to make beautiful images and tell stories. 
And, right. you know, it's anybody can own a camera, but it's what you do with that camera that matters. And so it's great to see, um, you know, everybody, more people have opportunity. But right. it's, it's, it's what you do at, with that camera after you purchase it. That's, that's, well, that's what matters. That leads me into my next question. Go, look at how cameras and equipment has advanced over, you know, the past 10 years so much. Uh, what was the camera that you started off with, and what is the camera you're looking forward to using now? Well, I um, started off using, it was like a little, like uh, one of those VHS camcorder things. I remember that was probably the first camera I actually used. We had some 8mm um, as a kid, but I never got to use that. But uh, And then nice. I used like the Canon DV, like the GL2, and, and I currently own a RED, and so... Um, Waiting to upgrade to the Red Dragon, and uh, you know that's yes. kind of where I'm at, and that's what I'm looking forward to. I've, I've been able to use it before, but um, I don't own it yet. So it, it's, it, you know, it's it's kind of like a lot of people consider like, you know, cameras now different film stocks, and sensors operate differently. The, you know, there's color science involved, and so they all have their different looks. And so you know, some cinematographers you know prefer one camera over the other, and I do prefer shooting on. A red, just because I I like the workflow, I like the raw codec that it produces. Um, but you know, there's other cameras out there that do a very good job as well. So it's um, you know, it's all personal taste now. It seems, but it sure. seems like there's you know, there's at least five camera manufacturers that produce something that can give you desirable results. So um, right. Now you know, uh, you you've mentioned several times, and I, I, I love listening to, to the way you, you phrase everything. You mentioned several times about composition, the composition mm-hmm. of a shot. Um, what in your mind goes into composing a great shot? And are there iconic shots from movies, films, what have you, that stand out and you're like, when you see it, like it, it kind of gives you goosebumps for lack of, ooh, yeah, that was good, that was good, I want to I try to recreate that. Yeah, I, you know, absolutely. There's just uh, let's go with the, you know the composition first, and what kind of goes into that. Uh, composition can entail many things. One, you're you know you're you're shooting, uh, you're trying to create a 3D world on a 2D 2D you know field, and mm-hmm. so you have to create that depth. And you have to create foreground, middle ground, background, and then you have color involved in that. And then you have motion involved in that. And you have balancing an image. You know, you know is you know, if you are doing a close-up and you have the, you know, let's say it's just a single head shot, and the head's really far to the right, and there's nothing but a white wall on the left side of the screen, you know, it doesn't look so appealing, potentially. And that, for the most part, it probably isn't. But if there's a story that, you know, that's the mood, that it's just a white wall, and maybe being alone or something like that, that may be that may work fine. So. It, a lot of it also depends on the story because that's what you're trying to achieve is telling a story. But for the mm-hmm. most part, you know, you do want to create a 3D world on a 2D plane. And that takes, you know, how, that's, how do you do that? You know, that does tip a foreground and a middle ground and things of that nature to create, try, try to create that world. And, you know, lighting is such a huge uh, tool in that because, you know, if you can, the intensity of light on one section of the screen versus another can create that mood or can create that three-dimensional um, space so those are kind of some of the basic things that go into creating a composition um, but they all get their foundation from the story telling a story what does that mean what does that look like 
with the no, there, 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 there have been a lot of movies that come out recently, Adam. You know, like uh, well, you know, just a sleuth of movies have come out recently. Uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is about to come out right now. I saw Noah last week. I saw uh, The Dawn of the Planet of the Apes last night. When you go to see these movies, and, and I'm pretty sure you go to see a lot of these films, uh, can you bring yourself out of the image of seeing yourself behind the camera? Can you enjoy the film? Are you are you one of those people? Yes, uh, I am. In fact, it's difficult for me to to sit there on a first viewing and look at the te- technical aspect of it. So it usually takes me a couple viewings. Or what I tend to do at home is I just turn the sound off. And that allows me to look at the shots, the shot selections, you know, the the angle of the camera, the sequence of shots, how they went to set that story, to tell that story, the mood in that particular scene. And so for me, that's a great learning tool um, to just turn the sound off and just watch how they assembled or told the story with no sound. And it allows me to focus on how they composed everything. And and so it's that's that's a trick for me. Um, but yeah, if I go to the theater for first nice. viewing, it's really tough to like. Oh, you know, I you you know, sh- the trick to being a cinematographer. If people are sitting back and saying, "Oh, that's a beautiful shot," or "That's great," or "That's that," and it's you're kind of failing as a DP because you don't you want people involved in the story. You don't want them thinking about how beautiful a shot that is, and maybe afterwards, but not during the movie. During the movie, they need to be involved in that story. They need to be immersed. And if they're not doing that because they're taken away by your photography, then the new failed as a director of photography. Wow, that's a very, very strong. strong. (laughs) Not trying to be negative. (laughs) I know you guys want to stay positive, but you know um, that can be a negative aspect if people are enjoying the photography so much and saying, "Oh, that's such a such girl. That's a beautiful shot. That's a beautiful shot." And like, yeah, but are you getting what the story means, or are you conveying the idea of the director? Trying to get but you're just looking at everybody. We have the great Adam Beck on right now, and we're talking about cinematography and films and the positivity of being in the uh, movie, cinema, and media industry. We're going to take a, a small, small break here, and we're going to have a little conversation uh, afterwards with uh, Adam about his favorite movies and what he likes to do uh, on the days of great movies. Talk soon.
enjoying their reggae music. A little bit different sound there. We got the great Adam Beck on today. What a fantastic guest. Very positive, talking about cinematography and filmmaking and, and how to stay positive in this world of filmmaking itself. We're going to talk to him right now about some of his favorite movies, some of his favorite shows, and what have you. Hold on one second, we'll get him on. Back to the show here. Thank you very much for welcoming us on Cinephile Radio. You can find us on CinephileRadio.com as well as Cinephile Radio on Facebook as well as Cinephile Radio on Twitter. Uh, we're pretty much everywhere. We have the great Adam Beck on here. We're talking about cinematography, filmmaking, and what have you. Uh, Adam, please tell us, what, what are the projects you're working on right now? I, I know that Blood Drive Silver Demon is one that you're credited for right now on IMDb as being a cinematographer, but I, I understand you're working on something else as well. Yeah, it's correct. Uh, we're close to wrapping a movie called uh, Becoming Lindsay, um, and we have one more day shoot on that, which we'll finish up next month. And then I have a movie premiering in August called The Fallen. And so uh, that uh, is another film I've DP'd and. uh the brief synopsis on The Fallen is uh, more about a, fa- a daughter whose uh, father goes away to war and then how she copes with that. She has like a tree that she um, kind of reminds her of her father because he always he created a swing for on that tree off a branch and right. she always swings on it. And that's kind of her you know alone time as a child and. Right. And so that the tree kind of her, represents her father when he's away. So it's that's what that story is about. And then um, becoming Lindsay, it's kind of coming of age story, and it's kind of got like an '80s feel to it. And it's just about a girl whose parents uh, get in a horrible accident, and then her going through that experience. But then also, you know, being in high school and you know starting dating a boy that she really likes, and then having a, a friend, a close friend, it's a guy, and you know, then there's there's a a war between men and over her over her hands, you can say. So it uh that one's nice. uh, that one's that one's a little longer. Uh I think it was a, it's a, it'll end up being a twelve day shoot, so so it uh it's been it's been good. Uh, who's behind that project? Who's directing, who who's in the film? Uh the director is Bill Hinshaw and uh he actually I have a small production company, he actually interned for me. And so he just you know relations nice. kinda of built from there and and we shot it locally uh, in Visalia, so it, uh, it's it's been good. We just shot two uh, shooting days this past week, hospital scene and then a uh, dinner scene, uh, and uh, in a really old building. It's got a lot of character, and it, so that was just fun. Put on the light that and shoot that, so it was good. Well, you know, w- w- before I used to go out on photo shoots and shoot models and what have you, I used to look at Vogue and a- any magazine I could to get kind of a feel of what other photographers were doing. Before you shoot a film... Do you do this, a similar thing? Do you watch a movie at all, or do you get a feel for that as well? Yeah, it, it, it depends how the relationship kind of comes about. You know, if you're doing like an interview setting, uh, oftentimes they'll they'll give you a script and you come in and say, okay, I, you know, my vision for this, or I think it looks like this, and you can get that from your own by reading the script, your own you know interpretation of what you're reading, of how the story is told, and or oftentimes if it's in a you know you're it's a friend that you're going to do a project with, you know, you're kind of there from the first 
from the get-go, so you're not really having to win the battle to, you know, or win the job. But, you know, you kind of develop that visual with the director. And so, and that can come from, you know, both his visual experience and your own as you kind of develop that on your own. So it can come from movies, it can come from photographs, it can come from paintings, um, a wide range. It really, you know, it's based upon the story, but it also on what the director's vision is for that story. So, um, yeah, so I, a lot of stuff for me, most of the time I, I kind of relate other photos from you know, past films, the lighting was a certain way, or that I thought right. really kind of helped tell that story. And that, that can come from different sources. So you can have, like, you know, this scene and what this character is going through reminds me of this film, but this other scene here kind of reminds me of the lighting of, you know, this DP I did on this movie here. And you can say, well, this, you know, reminded me of this photo I saw this one time. And uh, then, you know, that's can how, that can be how it, it develops, the look of a film. Right. So those are those are little helpful tools for you is to, to look at some. Do you have a particular movie? I mean, for me, as a cinematographer, it would probably be so close to like Godfather or Coen Brothers films because their cinematography is just brilliant. Is there is there any type of cinematography in, in, in any movie that you watch that inspires you as a cinematographer? That's that's tough to say. There's you know, it'd be like Lawrence or Labia or The Godfather. Right. I mean, we can go down unless there's you know. 50 films, you could say, were just masterpieces, you know, over the years. Um, so that's tough for me to say. It's just this one defines me. I think there's a lot. And, and for me, it's also DPs because they're also putting their own experiences in the thing. And so there's DPs that I really love their work. And, you know, on a film, it's not just a story for me, but it's also who shot the film gets me excited about going and seeing a movie. And right. it's just because of their work, prior work. You know, you you, know, you say, Roger, you throw Roger Dinkins' name out there and, you know, people go, oh, my gosh, he's such a great cinematographer. He's been nominated for 11 times for Academy Award. You know, so obviously he's very consistent and producing great work. Um, but for me, you know, I, you know, Jeff Cronin with Owen Roisman, who's now retired, you know, but he shot older stuff that I just love the work that, um, that you know, that excites me. And so um, yeah, that's kind of how I, I don't really have necessarily, you know, it's this for me. Like, it's say uh, an example is Inception. I really love as a movie, not necessarily because you know it didn't have any plot holes because it did, but the whole idea and what Christopher Nolan was trying to do with that, tell that story about dreams, was just in, insanely cool to me. And then Wally right. Fletcher, who did win, you know, best cinematography uh, at the Oscars for for that film, it was beautiful, beautifully shot. So um, I, I love that movie just because of what Nolan was trying to do. And right. um, I'm a big Wally Fister fan, so uh, you know uh, he does great work. And but Jeff Cronenweth, you know, he had Social Network, which he was nominated at the same time for um, the look of that film, which was beautiful. Right. And, uh, right. So it, it's uh, for me, it's just a hodgepodge of this film and that film that kind of just like that I crave. Not necessarily this one film is 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 done it for me. Well, I, I, I love growing up that way. You know, I, I saw you know when I grew up, I saw a bunch of films like in Columbia and Paramount. And, excuse me, from Universal, and you'd always see the different film stock. It would look different each time. Uh, Columbia had a darker darker grain, and Paramount mm-hmm. had more of a, a color, a pungent grain, and what have you. And then things changed throughout the years, and things look, look a little bit more alike these days. Uh, did, that become, did that become a problem for you as a cinematographer? Did you, did you see that as a chance for you to stand out? or Did you notice that, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's, yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, that's that's kind of I don't know if I notice that per se. I notice styles tend to be the same way in the sense that you know if it's a if it's a certain type of film, it'd be an action film or things of that nature. Oftentimes, I see those look very similar. They have the same camera movements. You know, like you had this whole Jason Bourne thing come out, and everybody used shaky cam, and there for a while everybody did it. You know, because it was you know more of a exciting technique. You know, even though for some people in the audience it made them sick to the stomach, but for other people it created that excitement. And uh, it was just, you know, that feel was something that a lot of people like and other people adopted into their filmmaking process. So, um, you know, that, but, yeah, you do get to certain types of film, I think different uh, genres where you you have very similar looks to those. And I find it interesting when you have someone who is in a genre and then they flip it on its head and light it a completely different way. And still try to get the same type of, you know, feel to it with different lighting. That's that's I think that's more unique thing today to see. Right. Is there a Charles? genre that is there, is there a genre that lends itself to your strengths more than another? And uh, and if if so, which would it be? And what what genres do you prefer, or do you have a preference, or is it about the script? Um. For me, I, I I don't have a problem doing any genre. I think they all are exciting because they're all different tasks. They're different uh, hurdles, uh, different issues to try to overcome in telling stories. You know, narrative. You know, you, you in narrative thinking you get, um, you know, when you come to a drama and a narrative, you have more opportunity to, you know, kind of make it beautiful. But when you go to action adventure. You know, it's a little bit quicker movements. The cutting's different, and the editing's different. The type, you know, just the flow of the movie's different. So, oftentimes you don't get that uh, opportunity to make it look as pretty. And I think uh, an example of how that has been successfully done was uh, was um, Skyfall with Roger Jenkins. It was just a beautifully shot film, but that was an action film. It was a James Bond film, and no, no James Bond films look like that. Um, and so it was such a beautiful yeah, shot, a but. Film. It, yeah, it was, and so, but it was. You don't really, you know, you don't, you know, it's Roger Dinkins. You don't go into thinking it's going to be a beautiful movie. You know, you think it's going to be about, you know, a spy, beautiful women, you know, guns and things of that nature. So, um, so that's you know, that for me, that's one example where you know, narrative has been, or not narrative, sorry, but a genre has been flipped on its head when it comes to what you're expecting going to a theater. From yeah, so I, I guess to answer your question. Um, I enjoy dramas um, to shoot. I enjoy narratives to shoot. I enjoy all those to watch. So I, I'm not necessarily a horror film, but certain things, a uh, fan of horror film, but certain things about a horror film kind of when it gets to more of a, you know, spiritual side kind of is kind of intriguing to me. So, you know, like the Deliverance from Evil just came out at the end of this month. You know, that seems very intriguing to me. So I would love to do a film like that. Uh, but I don't normally watch horror films. But you know, it's it's you something don't. that I don't. Yeah, so like, I don't the, necessarily... like the Exorcist, or are you seen The Exorcist, or The Ring, or uh, Exorcist was shot by Owen Wiseman, and uh, it's uh, it's I would say um, it's groundbreaking in itself. So is Halloween, right. and that was shot by Dean right. Cundey. So oh, thank you know, you. That's, that's, that is my, that is one of my favorite horror films of all time, Halloween. So you know, and that itself is it. pretty much. Yeah, I would say Halloween's probably the biggest groundbreaking horror film um, that kind of started it all, I think. So, 
um, I don't go out thinking, oh, I'm going to go watch a horror film. But if there's something that just kind of, you know, just has a different take, it's exciting. I mean, I, watched, I remember watching Blair Witch in the theater and not knowing anything about the movie at all. Didn't know anything about it. I was kind of in a little bubble there, I guess. And so for me, it was it was groundbreaking, and to think that it was you know it puts you in that that lost footage type uh, genre of movie it was insane. Now you see those all over the place. So it's great to be on the front end of that to see that experience. But then after a while, it, they all kind of run together to a certain degree. So right. I should watch a lot more of them, but I don't. Mm-hmm. But I do prefer um, action adventure and you know dramas, comedies as well. I, you know, I'm not just. I just don't have a. I'm I'm this type of guy. I like all of it. I think we all, to a certain extent, we all have you know. Different parts of our lives. We all have drama, you know. Absolutely. In our lives. You know, we all. Yeah. We also have, you know. I'm. A, I played ice hockey in college and stuff like that. So, you know, when it comes to a hockey movie, I'll watch it. Things I'm interested just because that's something I was tied to. When it comes to watching maybe another sports film, I may not watch it because eh, I'm not. You know, I wasn't into that sport, or I didn't play that sport um, as much. So, you know, there's certain things that we kind of fall into because that's that's our identity, that's our personality type. But, uh, you know, I do like all of it. We all have funny things in our life and comedies and things of that nature. I'm not a, uh, I can be serious at times and, and enjoy that drama film, but oftentimes I like comedy. I like to laugh. And and uh, so I have three kids, so it's, you know, it's a, uh, Sometimes I'm limited what I can watch. I gotta wait till I go to bed. You know, some things just aren't appropriate for children to watch. So, but uh, that you know, that's no, that's no, no, no ramble first blood for the kids right now. None of that stuff. No. Uh, Sorry, say that again. <laughs> no ramble first blood for the children right now. Uh, you know, I've, my oldest is 11, and uh, he's, it, he's uh, getting. You know, he's getting to the age where he's getting more responsibility and, and watching a little more uh, uh, older themed movies. I should say. Right. So, but they just watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids for the first time yesterday. You know, that was a movie as a kid I watched. And so it's, you know, is it the greatest made movie of all time? No, but it, it entertained them. And right. it's great to see them enjoy something that was made 30 years ago. Yes. Uh, you know, one of, my, one of my films that I do like a lot is called The General. It's made in 1926 with Buster yes. Keaton. And, yes. you know, how they moved the camera in 1926, it's insane because those things are oh, heavy. The General is a brilliant film. It, it, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, if you've not seen The General, The General is a fantastic film, and it's on Netflix right now. The whole Buster Keaton uh, um, uh, series is actually on Netflix. So take a look yeah. at it. It's called The General. It's one, of, it's one of the few that people don't watch, though it's one of the best ones. I'm sorry, Adam. Continue. No, no, no. And that's, yeah, Buster Keaton, amazing. And, you know, Excuse he, me, Buster Keaton. He great, great actor, director. He just, you know, was uh, most of his stuff, or I think all of his stuff, except for the last few, are all silent films. So, yes. um, you know, it's just I'm just in on in the cinematography aspect how they were, how they were able to move a camera and they put it on a train and things of that nature. And when you look at Buster Keaton, you look at Charlie Chaplin. Uh, those those two guys, it's just amazing about the amount yeah. of work and effort they put into their film film work. You know, I I, I lived in Burbank all my life, a majority of my life. Does that inspire you? Uh, you know, Charlie Chaplin and those, those guys coming up and seeing what they've accomplished. Do you compare yourself to them at all uh, as far as success and where they were in their lives at their time? Uh, no, because I, I don't... Um, well, first, let me talk about them real quick. It, it was a very different age 
you know, there's, you know, for now, you know, we have a lot of safety concerns. We try new things because people die on film sets, and, and unfortunately, and it happens. And you know, the Sarah Jones thing has been in the news for the last year or so. You know, the whole thing uh, with that. We're talking about the the one she got hit by a tr- by a train. Yeah, correct, correct. And so, you know, there was instances where you know people haven't been looking out for other people, and um, I think uh, Richard Crudo, the AAC president really framed it nicely when there was a sickness in the industry spiritually spiritually wise where we're not looking out for our fellow human on set and then you look at what they did in 1926 you know when Buster Keaton doing all his own stunts and some of the the acting in the silent silent films were very physical and you know I'm not sure exactly how the safety stuff went on then uh, but I'm surprised I don't don't even know know, if there was as many deaths I'm I'm not sure I don't know that history about it but just in awe in what these actors put themselves through. But also, you know, be aware that, you know, it's it's not okay to put your fellow crew member in, in harm's way where, you know, that they could be seriously injured. That's that's not okay. But um, but just amazed at what they were able to accomplish, you know, in the silent film era uh, and what they did with the camera and how they told stories. It's, it's, it's in awe. There's a second part of that story, that question. I'm forgetting what you asked. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Oh, no, no. Uh, it's it's funny, Anna, because it's it's a recurring theme on the show. We always I, I always make mention uh, to Steve. You know, I have I have two kids as well. My my oldest is eleven, also, and awesome. so we don't we don't get to go out to see as much as we want to. Now we've 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 hit a couple uh, here and there, and I just wanted to touch on something that you mentioned earlier. You said you just saw uh, Transformers, the latest one, and yeah. I just saw it. What did you think of that? Well, it's a Michael Bay movie, and if you know who Michael Bay is, then you know his type of movies. I mean, Pain and Gain, which he did a couple years ago, or it was maybe last year, um, might have been two years ago, it's a different take than Transformers movie, and that was something different uh, from Michael Bay that you don't normally see, because Transformers big, shiny, flashy, a lot of explosions, computer animated type stuff. And if you go to a Michael's Bay film and you're expecting to be um, is something as well written as The King's Speech or The Social Network, you're <laughs> yeah. going to be hurting because that's yeah. not what he does. That's not what he makes. Um, he makes big flashy films with lots of explosions and I enjoy those films. So um, I didn't think I thought it was one of the better Transformer movies. I don't necessarily think you know it's the greatest action adventure movie I've ever seen. Absolutely not. But I enjoyed it, and I went and saw it in 3D at IMAX, and I wanted to see the experience because I knew it was shot in the new Red Dragon cameras, and um, you know I, uh, at least part of it was. And so and he had a mixture of camera technology, and so for me that was part of the draw for me, knowing there was newer technology being used, and so that was kind of my reasoning. And I'd seen the three previous movies, and I will probably see it again with my son because he hadn't seen it yet. I saw it with some fellow, another fellow DP, and and um, so it was, um, you know, it's that's just, you know, that's just, if there's. I, unfortunately, I think people want to give Michael Bay bad, you know, rating because he's not doing serious filmmaking. And I would say that it is serious filmmaking, you know, because part of us we go to we go to the movies for different reasons and. A lot of times it is to escape our lives. I enjoy what I do as a living. I love it. You know, it's there's not, unquote, security in filmmaking. Um, but, you know, it's a passion. It's something I love to do. It's part of who I am. 
And so I love doing it. But for a lot of people, they work jobs that they don't love what they do. And and that for whatever reason they're in those situations, um, they, they use the movies as an escape. And so if Transformers is helping someone get through or enjoy two hours of their life, or three hours in this case for that movie, God bless him. God bless Michael Bay for doing it. You know, and you know, and so oftentimes, you know, you're in a mood for a different type of movie, and you know, God bless Chris Rinola for those things, and or Ben Affleck, who's been a really surprise over the last five or six years in what he's been doing oh, yeah. as a director. You know, so you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I think what I'm looking forward to. I've got uh, several films I'm looking forward to this year. I think this fall and December will be a bigger, bigger time than this summer. Has been. Um, oh yeah, Fincher, Fincher. Oh yeah, you know Fincher's got Gone Girl, um, and oh, I'm yeah. a huge. That's I'm great. a huge fan with Jer- Jeff Grunewald, who's has been his DP for the last uh, two or three films, and then you have The Hobbit, and you have um, Exodus, and you know you have Interstellar with by Christopher Nolan. Oh. Holy smokes! That's gonna and be I great. Think one, I, I saw the trailer yesterday for Unbroken, which is directed by oh. Angela Jolie, which is yeah, uh, yeah, insane. I mean, she's been on the last two or three years, and it's been insane what she's been able to do. So, okay. you know, I get excited. I mean, this is what I get excited about. I'm a huge hockey fan. I get excited about the Edmonton Oilers. That's my favorite team. But, you know, for for me, these, this is like my Super Bowl, is watching yep. these movies. You know, I always joke every year I tell friends that, you know, the Oscars are my Super Bowl, per se. I mean, it's not necessarily – it is somewhat a competition. And so, um, um, right. good and bad, but – you know, that's that is my Super Bowl. I'd rather watch the Oscars than watch football. Not that I I still watch football, but it's just not something that it drives me so or excites me. But tell me that. Well what do you what do you see yourself in the next ten years? Ten years from now. Um well, ten years from now my oldest will be twenty one. So dealing with that and hopefully he's gone off and very Your your oldest will be twenty one in, in two years? In, in, in ten years, did you say two years or in ten, ten years? years. Ten years. Oh Sorry. my gosh! You almost give me a stroke. You look like you're twenty-three years old. I'm like, uh, how old are you? Uh, I'm in my thirties, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> oh well, you you look like a child. It's, it's awesome. Well, thank you. I uh, I have gotten that before. So, uh, but uh, uh, in ten years or two years? Yeah. Or, uh, okay, ten, ten years. years. Ten years. Uh, making movies. You know, do what I'm doing now, and you know, just excited to see what the next story comes along. There's, you know, we we never, I think, uh, we never stop enjoying being enjoying telling stories or or hearing stories or watching stories. I, um, why right. stop? You know, why? it'll be a different story then. It'll be a different time. Technology will be different. So using the tools, the tools, the technology to help those stories will be different. And so. Uh, Looking forward. You, to that. you know, we 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 can talk all day long, Adam. You know, I I was I was a little, you know, I was worried about this this conversation today because I really wanted to uh, to, to get it right, and and uh, this is the first kind of conversation where it's a little more technical based, but this is a fantastic conversation. I could really talk to you all all day long. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. Uh, but before we get into the films that that are coming out soon, which is uh, becoming Lindsay and, and the fall. Um, what what right now um, after after the fall after becoming Lindsay are you in post production of these two films right now? Uh, the fall is in uh, post production right now. It's being colored in the last stages, and then uh, the becoming Lindsay we have one more sh- day of shooting and that probably won't take place till in August sometime. 
waters. There's some logistics issues we have to take care of, and so we're going to um, we're going to take care of that and get that solved, and that'll go into post. And I'm I'm hoping that will be finished uh, by the end of the year and be premiered. And what can we look forward to trespassing the terror? I know that's in in post production right now. You know where the, you know where the uh, where that film's going right now? Uh, I don't. I have not heard. I worked as a part of the crew. I was not the director of photography. That was Kevin Searcy. And um, it's, I believe, it's been in post for a while. And so I think they're they're kind of finishing into this year as well. But I'm not quite sure where that's at, to be honest with you. Right. How, how can we get in touch with you? How can we find you? How can we find Adam okay. Beck, the cinematographer? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter, Adam W. Beck. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't get on Twitter often, but I do have it. Uh, <laughs> Facebook um, is another one. I'm on Facebook. Um, that, that's and then I do have a company three three B B is in Beck uh, yeah. Digital Studios. That's a, a, a small production company I own, and I do some of my work out of there and uh, like local commercials and things of that nature. And then also freelance as a cinematographer. So nice. that's, those are three of the ways you can get a hold of me. Well, we're going to put our links on our, on our Facebook sure. account today, Twitter, and on Blog Talk Radio about all the ways to connect with you. Uh, Adam Beck is, is the, the fantastic cinematography we want to talk to today. There's two films coming out very soon. Uh, well, the one film coming out very soon is The Fall, and the film that he's going to start working on very soon is Becoming Lindsay. Charles, is there a question you wanted to close out on? Uh, you know, I just wanted to take a second to say, Adam, thank you so much. Um, it really, really... Uh, was an enlightening conversation and opened our eyes to, uh, you know, to exactly what goes on in terms of the life of a cinematographer, what it means to be a, a cinematographer. You mentioned, uh, uh, Steve, about uh, Rambo. I indeed have shown my daughter Rambo and let her know at 11 that this is what I'm going to do to all the boys who start to come around. So a <laughs> little different perspective. But, uh, you know, I think that that just speaks to the power of movies. Uh, the movies uh, hit different, different people at different times. So That's That is my favorite crazy. part of Bad Boys 2, when it answers the door. Who's this guy? <laughs> exactly. Anyways, Adam Beck, thank you so much for being on the show. We greatly appreciate you being here. No problem. We, we offer you great success in your future, uh, and we look forward to you being back on the show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the time you've uh, allowed me to talk. Thank you so much, Adam. We really appreciate it. All right, boys and girls, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to welcome in uh, Jared Rice, who is a writer and a producer uh, and is on his way to the top. So everybody take a second and let's listen to uh, another radio track.
other reggae music. Hey, Charles, have you ever gone to the Bob Marley Fest in Long Beach Arena? I have. I uh, loved it. Oh, that was a great time. I got to go see Maxi Priest. I saw, um, um, God, who is, uh, who is the son? What's the son's name? Bob Marley's son. Oh, Stefan or Ziggy or... Oh, uh, Steph- oh my God. Stefan is like, like, uh, like, uh, Shemp to me. Yeah, Ziggy Marley. <laughs> <laughs> I've met him a couple times, and he introduced himself to me, and I looked at him like, who the hell are you? Seriously, I mean, this is the son of Bob Marley. Like, who are you? Oh, that's, that's I know, because Jared it stands out so much. I remember when I went young, uh, when I, went young I saw Matthew Priest and, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, at the Bob Marley Fest. That was a lot of fun. Of course, you know, when yeah. you're young and you're trying to buy food at these fests, there's so much money in tents. Oh, it's crazy. It's you know, it's crazy. You go in, you go in with uh, with whatever money you can. You think you're going to get a shirt? You're going to get no. You get the you get some plantains. <laughs> that's a, that's about all you can afford. <laughs> exactly. Well, welcome out on the show t- uh, today, uh, Jared Rice. Jared Rice is a, is a writer. Jared Rice is a producer. Jared Rice is an American hero who's a six-year Marine, uh, retired as a lance corporal. Uh, Jared Rice. Uh, thanks for welcome, uh, joining us on the show. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for inviting me. How are you guys? Great. Thank you for being on. Oh, fantastic. Uh, we understand you're, you're doing a new movie right now with uh, Sean Ficino. Uh You're doing uh, uh, Graveyard Boys. You're writing, you wrote, and you're producing this. Now, you and I talked about this right. a, a while back when I saw you in Los Angeles when we went to the uh, Black premiere. You were talking about this film. Sean was telling you about this film and how funny it was. Uh, he couldn't wait to read the project again. And then just months later, uh, he announced that he was going to direct the film. Uh, tell us about this project. What's going on with this? Uh, okay, well, I wrote it when I got home from Iraq, which was in 2008, and it was, which was before Pineapple Express, uh, keep in mind. But it, it's very similar to that movie. Um, it's, pretty much, it's just a comedy. It's like a stoner comedy. Uh, it's not going to win any Emmys or anything like that, but um, <laughs> I got, I got I'm, on with... I'm so uh, glad you're setting it up this way. But listen, everybody, it's not going to win Oscars or Emmys or Tonys or any other crap. <laughs> you don't know yeah, that. It's not, it's it's not going to change your life when you watch it. It's just to entertain you. Um, and so I, I wrote it, the rough copy of it, and bounced it around at some, like, screenwriting festivals, got some feedback. And, um, you know, now one thing led to another. I met with Deep Ray, who's an actor uh, here in California as well, who was roommates with a guy who is now the CEO of Roadway Sports and Entertainment, which ended up getting us the deal. They're the ones who are going to be funding this project. And, um, Sean, of course, I met on Trespassing to Terror, believe it or not, with Adam. And uh, and from there, we just talked about it and back and forth, and you know now we're going to be making a movie. Well, has your experiences in, in the Marines help you with your writing, or were you writing before you went to the Marines? Well, I was writing before I went into the Marines, but uh, I guess it's helped me with everything, really, because now I have a different perspective on things. I... I have a different outlook. Um, 
I, because of the Marines, I think I'm able to see things from a different angle, if that makes sense. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I would say, uh, yeah, it did help me. Would you say that's one of the reasons why you went to comedy, is, is seeing what you saw back in Iraq, to come back and just, I just want to go fucking comedy. No, no, I've always, I've always been into comedy. Even when we were over there, um, I was the, the clown. I made everybody laugh. I did, like, you know, impersonations. and I would get in trouble a lot. That's why when I got out, I was a Lance Corporal. So, <laughs> so I didn't get to move up very fast because I, I messed around a lot. But it kept people happy. So, and if you're not happy, then what are you doing, you know? Yeah, if you're not happy, how can you shoot the enemy? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, Jared, I want to listen. I, I want to take a second and uh, just on a serious note to thank you for your service to our country because so often, uh, thank you. you know, we we come across uh, people who have served, and I just I always want to make it a point to say thank you for your bravery, thank you for your courage. It's something that uh, that, that means the world to me. Um, and now that now that you're back. You have this. You have this comedy, and and you know, modest, uh, modestly tongue in cheek is not gonna. It's not gonna win in the Emmy, so so you say. But um, when you wrote it, going into it, what was it? What was the story that you wanted to tell? Because the title doesn't sound like it's gonna be a, a laugh em up comedy. <laughs> Let's be honest. Right. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for the for the gratitude. I appreciate that. Um, but secondly, yeah, the, the title. Uh, I don't know. It's just the way the way I write. It's a little um, unorthodox, I guess you could say. But I usually think of a title first, and then I figure out what kind of story I can make based on that title, um, which is weird, I guess. But so no, I came I up the, with the title I the same first. Thing. I do the same. Oh, thing. okay. I write okay, the so you know, so you know where I'm coming from. Story. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So I come up with the weirdest thing I can think of, I, and which is the title, and then I try to write a story based on it. And while Graveyard Boys originally was a little bit more dark, it still has a dark uh, twist to it. Like there's, even though it's a comedy, it, there's a lot of um, death. And uh, there's some, I mean, they work at a cemetery, so there's some dead bodies. Uh, so it's still got that like, dark twist on it. But, you know, it's more or less a great comedy that you kind of, uh, it, 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 to me, hopefully, I hope that it would become a cult classic. Excellent, excellent. And is it a uh, is it a buddy comedy sort of vibe? What kind of what kind of laughs are uh, were you going for gear? You know, because you sound like a very interesting, uh, in depth person. What were you What were you gearing uh, this comedy to be like? Well, it's yeah, it, it's definitely a buddy comedy. Um, the character arcs kind of represent, um, or they they show the best friends, you know, the they split apart and they become best friends again. They overcome their their differences. So yeah, it's definitely a buddy comedy. Um, the laughs I'm trying to get is just like, just realistic humor, you know, like not something that you see that's way over the top, but just enough to kind of keep the audience happy. That's that's really it. It's there's some slapstick. It's funny you mentioned Charlie Chaplin because he's one of my all-time favorites and uh, a lot of the his comedy that slapstick physical comedy is kind of incorporated into Graveyard Boys. So there's some pretty hardcore stunt scenes that's really funny. Oh, that's fantastic. Um 
what were your conversations like with uh, with Sean Piccinino in in deciding that he was the director to helm the project? Well, I mean, I, I saw the lackey, so I know that that he's able to create a, a good project, especially with uh, the team he had behind him uh, at Hectic Films, because there's no, I mean, let's be real, there's no way you could do anything on your own. So I know that he has the right connections and the right skills and the right abilities to to put together a solid film with a low budget. And there's no way that we're going to get Universal Studios to drop, you know, like five grand on this film. That's not going to happen. So we've got to go with low budget. And so that was what I had in mind. And then when I saw him on Trustpass, and uh, he was able to kind of come up with some techniques and stuff on that set, it really just kind of solidified that, like, yeah, this is the guy, um, his team, that's, that's what I want to be involved. And um, originally he didn't read the script. It took him, like, forever to read it. So I had to kind of chew his ass to get him on board. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I, actually, I actually know this story. Yeah, and so now and so now he's yeah, he's interested in he read it and then as soon as he read it he was like, Oh yeah, we're gonna do this. So Yeah. That's well, pretty much know, our conversations went. Here's something very you know, from, from my from my perspective, you know, it, when you when you meet people and they hand you scripts or they, they tell you to read something, what I've noticed from a writer's perspective, a lot of people don't read it. They say they will, but they don't. Uh Sean is one of those very few and special people that does everything he can to read it, and almost will put himself in the hospital trying to do his best to read people's stuff. I remember him talking about your script and saying, I was trying to get to it every chance I could, uh, but you know Sean very well. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's yeah. difficult sometimes. But I was very happy when you guys got together and, and the project was finalized because I know it was on his mind, it was on your mind as well when we went to go to a El Coyote and had, a, had some ostrich burgers and a, and a Cadillac mar- mar- margarita. Oh yeah, those were pretty good, by the way. Those, I've never thought ostrich would taste pretty good, but it wasn't that great. <laughs> yeah, that, that was really good. There. Everybody from LA, I'm half tempted to drive right all the way back just to get them. <laughs> that was a that was a great time. I, I we laughed so loud. I think we shook the entire bar. It was hilarious. Yeah, it was pretty rowdy. I was I smoked a lot of pot that night too, so, so everything was really fun. <laughs> So, well, hey, you know, we have, we we have like Graveyard Boys coming up. Now, have there been projects in the, in the past that you've worked on as well as Graveyard Boys, or is this, is this your number one writing project? Uh, no, it's by no means my, my number one writing project. I have, I have a more serious side, um, some stories that are a little more closer to the heart. Um, right. but, the, but Graveyard Boys is definitely marketable. And I'm not trying to boast or anything, but... If any one of my movies is going to get made first, it would be Graveyard Boys because of that fact. So this I've is got a great, for me. I've got a great opening line for that, by the way, Jared. It should, it should say, Graveyard Boys does not cure cancer. Yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't cure cancer, but who knows? We you know we'll have to do a study. We'll have yeah. to do a study on that. But it's the best a, medicine. But it's a, but it's a comedy. I mean, what is it, what is a comedy about? Is it buddy comedy? Is it what is it about? Well, it's it's definitely a stoner comedy. Okay. Um, but it's these it's about two guys who they're they're troublemakers, they're slackers, and they work at a cemetery. And they're they get in trouble with their boss a lot and so then because of that they stay late at the cemetery 
there's some mobsters hanging around. They see things they shouldn't see. And then all hell breaks loose, and it all takes event in one night where they're working together as a team to try to defeat the evils, if you will. Um, it's, I would say that it's a buddy comedy, even though there is a, a love interest in there. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a buddy comedy. It's a stoner comedy. Nice. The story tells really, really nothing except for the events that are happening this night. Mm. Right. So it's a, moment, it's a momentary film. Where I, yeah, I like to call hours. it a, a Murphy's Law comedy. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. So it's very much exactly. like the Murray films where you're stuck in the city and you can't get the hell out of there. That's your Robin Exactly. Bank. I love those. I love those films. I mean, you beg for those people to get out of those situations so much. I love that. Yeah, and then you're just, you're kind of mad at them sometimes for making the wrong choice. I know. I mean, and then, and then the know. next bad event is their own fault. You know, it's it's like I that. Know. How about when they lose money? You go crazy. You're like, oh my god, they lost so much money right there, and it's not real money. And they don't. Yeah, and then they don't even care. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah. They don't even care. Because, because it's the movie. <laughs> yeah. We, we no, I'd be so I'd be so pissed. <laughs> well, you know what? I love, I love the device that you're employing that it all happens in one night because you've got to get it in. You've got, you've got, this, you've got this time constraint that's pushing up against the, that's every bit as much a part of right. the story as is everything else. Uh, was that going into writing it? Was that a conscious thought on your part? Or was that, you know what, I could spread this out a little bit or let me just, let me just see if I can get everything in uh, and make time a factor as well? It was... I don't. I don't think I was thinking about it consciously. No, but but then again, they say uh, nothing in art is accidental. Uh, so I think maybe subconsciously, because there's definitely a sense of urgency that you feel throughout the story. And well, if it took place in the span of a week, it just wouldn't make much sense. So I wasn't consciously thinking about making it happen all in one night. But it just kind of made sense to do it that way. Right. Right. Well, we, we spoke to the great Adam Beck today, the, the cinematographer, and listening to him talk and, and understanding his field of interest, does that change the way you write? Does, does, do you try to write for the cinematographer as well, or do you, or, or do, you do something different? Well, I, I try not to limit what I write uh, because you never know what the future can hold. You never know if you can um, pull off something that just seems ridiculous on this level. Um, right. But then, it, but when it when it becomes a realistic idea, like, hey, this could actually happen, then yeah, I'll go back and I'll change some things. I'll make it uh, a little cheaper so that production doesn't have to worry so much about either budget or the the right crew. Um, and even for cinematography, I think of how easy is it going to be to get that shot or to to shoot this scene, and how can we change it to where it will it will, it will work out. So I, I go back and do that. Right. You know, I, I want to I touch a little base on this, because you, you did mention it earlier, but I, I don't want to go too deep into this. But you, you did yeah. mention this deposit thing, and, and you, are, you are an American veteran. You did go to the war. You yeah. came back as a warrior. Uh, we under, I understand the whole PTSD route and, and the medical marijuana groove. Uh, how does that affect your writing? Does it affect your writing? And, oh, and yeah, and it's better. Okay. It's <laughs> better for you, because, yeah. like I said, it's all... It, cannabis changes your perception, right? It, it changes the way you look at things. 
Um, and just so, I, I want, want to, I want to talk about just you, just you. How does it affect you? Just you, not in general. Well, it just it changes my perception. Okay. So it has instead of writing it and looking at it from uh, this angle. If I if I use cannabis, I can look at it from a different angle, and I can come up with something a little more original or something that's more funny. Um, right. It's it's helped in both mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, although I, I could I could stand to work out. Um, it <laughs> it helps me achieve what I need to achieve in order to get my writing to get my writing done, or for it to be original. Because I don't right. I mean. Let's face it, every story is essentially recycled anyways. Right? You can go all the way back to cave paintings and you'll see similar stories that we see today um, because nothing really changes. So in order to get an original look, I'll smoke and, and, then I'll, and then I'll get a different take on something. Mm-hmm. And very much like William Burroughs and the old, the old classic artist, you know, it's very interesting as a writer myself, one of the reasons why I quit drinking is I, I saw the uh, film by uh, Stephen King. You know, Stephen King wrote a book I believe it's called what, uh, Room 287 or Room 187? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? And uh, they have the little part in, in the basement or inside the office with Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson offers him alcohol and he says, uh, Do you drink? He goes, I'm a writer. So he pours him a drink. And right. that's when I quit drinking because I thought to myself, anything that people would expect of me as a writer, I don't want to be that person. Like, I don't want to be that depressed, alcoholic writer. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like right. what a lot of people expect of writers to be. Comedians are depressed and, because, you know, they write about comedy all the time. So this is depressed. 1408, that was the name, 1408. 1408, yes. Do, yeah. do yourself find yourself to be in the same position, whereas you don't want to be that the type of artist, you don't want to be that type of writer in the future as being somebody who's typecast or, you know, a person who makes stoner films? Uh, that a, well, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't, but... At the same time, I just want to do what I want to do and have fun doing it because then there's no point in doing it, right? So if, I mean, drinking, yeah, I used to drink a lot. So I quit I quit drinking. I mean, I'll have a beer every now and then. Um, but, yeah, no, that's, that's, a whole, that's a whole different story with that. Um, oh, yeah. I think it doesn't matter what other people expect of you or what other people want to see from you as long as you're happy doing what you're doing. Well, you can, you, let's just say Graveyard Boys tomorrow gets filmed. It's a huge success. You're getting notoriety. People, you're, people are calling you off the hook. People, you don't, cousins are calling you that you don't even know existed. Right. What is, your, what is your project after that? What is your dream project to do after that? I just gave you a budget of whatever you want. What are you going to do? Uh, well, I actually, I have a lot of stories on the back burner right now, but one of them involves time travel and uh, I don't want to go too much into detail but it's got a lot of twists and turns Um, I know time travel has been done over and over but I don't care because that's what I want to do so I think I would do that Um, or maybe write another book I have two books out right now um, and they seem to be doing okay so maybe if I write a third book that will just put me on the next level what are are your books? who want to know these books? Uh, well, my first book is uh, Pork Chop Pride, which is uh, about my first month in the Marine Corps. You see, when I enlisted, my recruiter lied to me, believe it or not. That's a surprise, right? So he lied to me, and he got me to sign up, and he got me to go, and I couldn't do pull-ups. 
So they put me in a platoon called the Physical Conditioning Platoon, and it was abbreviated PCP, um, which there was no PCP there, so that was kind of a bummer. But they oh, called okay. me a court shot platoon. And uh, so I just said, you know what, this is going to make a good book. I mean, there were people, like, killing themselves because they couldn't take the abuse. The drill instructor was really crazy. Uh, he made us cage fight. And, like, we would break down beds that weren't being used and built a cage out of them and go in and fight each other. Um, but the, the whole time I was going through it, I realized this would make a good story, so I wrote it. And I'm thankful it happened to me, not because of the book, because it made me a lot stronger now. Right. So I won't change anything. But that's my first book. And then my second book is called How to Make Money in Your Spare Time. And it's a satire. The cover is a picture of a guy in a ski mask holding a shotgun. And basically it's about how to make money on the black market or just uh, how to make money illegally. And it's just kind of a satire, I guess like a social commentary on the nice. judicial system and politics. And that was actually selling a lot better than, than Pork Chop Pride. How to make well, money on your spare time. Yeah, if you go to um if you go to Amazon dot com and type in how to make money in your spare time paperback, I believe it's the first one that pops up. Well that's nice. that's as a as a as a novelist myself, I'm definitely gonna uh head over to Amazon and check those out. Um, so that leads Thanks. me to another question, and since I didn't know that uh, you were a novelist as well. If you had your druthers in a perfect world, would, you, would your next project be a book, or do you prefer writing in the screenplay sort of format? Well, that's, that's tough. <clears throat> I don't know. I guess I like writing in the screenplay format because... It, to me, it's easier. So that would be like the path of least resistance. Um, but, you know, screenplays come and go, and sometimes they get made and sometimes they don't. Books, they when you publish them, they're around forever. So yeah. that's really tough, man. I don't know. Well, that's I didn't want question. to blow your mind. It's just something to, something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you blew my mind, man. What is your... You know, we can talk to you all day long. We're, we're running out of time. Time runs by really fast when you're out of spine. Hey, tell us, have you watched any movies recently? Which one's your favorite one have you seen this summer? Oh, man. Um, I haven't really seen any Noah. new movies. I got, I got three little ones. So, like, the new movies we see are, like, usually kitty movies. So I saw How to Train Your Dragons, too. That was pretty cool. I like that. I saw that, too. <laughs> I had too. Yep. I was, I was a fan of that one. Yeah. yeah, so that I like that, but that's that's the newest one I've seen. If you got kids, I definitely recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. You know, one movie I saw recently was Noah. Uh, you know, and, and you know what? When I when I give my opinion, a lot of people go, "Well, that's an Aronofsky film." Well, I understand it's an Aronofsky film, and I understand that he's fantastic and and, and amazing and, and almost at a P.T. Anderson level of of of, of genius. He's fantastic, but Noah right. was not a good film. I mean, if I want to see The Hobbit, I'll go watch The Hobbit. Right. If I want to watch it, all, right. I mean, you have to. That's pretty brutal. It's it's incredible to me, you know. And people say, well, if you read the biblical story, it's one way, and if you have an idea of of no, it's another thing. No, it's not any of those things. It's 
it's taking a movie like, uh, I don't know, uh, Steel Magnolias, and then putting yeah. in Pacific Rim. <laughs> <laughs> you know, say, all to your diet. Truly out of place. With my gigantic robot sword. It's like, this is crazy to me. No, see, see, that's well, that's where you messed up, man. I try to stay away from religious films. Um, not <laughs> well, not because it's going to offend me, but because I don't want to get into discussions about religion. <laughs> yeah, well, you watch the film. It has nothing to do with religion, which is fantastic about it. It has, it has more to do with Kung Fu Panda than it does have to do with any kind of religion at all. But <laughs> that, was, that was a recent film that I saw, and I saw Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Fantastic! I don't know if you. I want to see that. Uh, that looks pretty good. It's amazing, and uh, I, I want to promote more people in, in Weta and more people in motion capture because when you see uh, motion capture done in this film, it's amazing. The film is amazing. The, the script is fantastic, and as, as all of us being writers, the scripts are fantastic. The script is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, great writing. Great, great drama. Great action. Great, uh, great social satire social commentary, political commentary. So that, that's my film that, that I think everybody should watch right now. Charles, you have a film yeah, right now? That that's definitely one I want to check out. That's on the list. Yeah. Dawn of yeah, the Planet of the Apes. You know, I, uh, uh, just like Jared and just like Adam, uh, when you have little ones, you sneak out where you can sneak out. Again, I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm going to be riding the, uh, the, the How to Train Your Dragon 2 coattail for all my fellow parents out there. Um, you can check that out. That's a, that's a lot of fun for the little ones. Um, if I can get to a to an adult movie, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is definitely one that I want to get out to. But there are so many coming up, especially in the fall, that I'm looking forward to. Uh, so, yes. You know, that's, Guardians, that's, that's, Guardians of the Galaxy looks amazing. Yeah, that yeah. does look pretty good, too. When that's I first saw the preview for that, I thought it was Star Fox, and I got real excited. And then when I found out it wasn't Star Fox, I got a little bummed. But now I'm excited again. <laughs> What's Take that? a twirl. Take a twirl. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I remember the old N64 version. I, I could have just punched my screen every single time. The guy told me to make a twirl or make a turn. It's like, shut up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> you got to be really skilled for that. You do. That, that, that you have to take a class here. at the community college. <laughs> well, Jared Wright, it's so, so great talking to you. We got... We got Graveyard Boys, written by by uh, by, by by Jared Rice, Jared Rice. going to be uh, <laughs> yeah, I got your name right, didn't I? Going to be directed yeah. by Sean Piccinino, and it's written and produced by by Jared Rice. Here, uh, he's got two books out: it's Pork Chop Pride and How to Make Money in Your Spare Time. We're so happy you joined us today. Thank you very much, Jared. How can we find you? How can we look you up? How can we find you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Uh, all, yeah, all I'm just. I mean, I don't really get on social media that much. Um, I quit Facebook for a little while. I just got back on because of connections that I don't want to lose. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm just, I guess I'm just on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jared Rice or whatever. I don't know what the URL is. But you can look me up. Um, or you can check out trulyindiestudios.com. Um, you can contact me through that maybe. Um, there's all kinds of ways you can find me, I guess, if you if you just cyber stalk a little bit. Charles, <laughs> <laughs> sure, anything? Any closing statements there? Uh, you know what? Again, Jeremy, I just wanted to say thank you so much uh, for your service to the country. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I'm really excited about this project, 
And, um, you know, as a writer and an actor myself, I have a million questions to ask you. So please, we'd love to have you back on the show as, uh, as time gets nearer to uh, the release of your project and just talk to you more and see, see what's going on uh, in your world. So thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you, Jared. You, it was great having you. Thanks, hey, man. Jared, Jared, thank you for your service in the Marines. We really do appreciate that a great deal. Uh, look awesome. up Jared Rice on, on Facebook. This guy is, this guy is a, a tough dude. Was in the Marines six years, uh, made it out, wrote two great books. He's got a movie coming out being directed by the, by the great and future famous Sean Piccinino, uh, being done by Truly Indie Studios, who, who I'm a part of as well. So, Adam, uh, um, Jared, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, thank you for Adam Beck for joining us as well. Uh, Jared, have yourself a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you, my thank brother. You. Bye. All right, so we're going to take a short little break and we're going to close our cell out. Everybody, let's do a little bit more of reggae. up your day. Well, we had a lot, of, a lot of great people on today. We had Adam Beck, Charles, right? We had uh, Jared yeah. Rice. So, he's great. Adam Beck is working on, on, on a great film right now. Uh, he's got uh, he's got Coming Lindsay in the fall that is in post. Great cinematographer. Please look him up. We have, uh, that was Adam Beck, and then we have uh, Jared Rice, who has Porkchop Pride and How to Make Money in Your Spare Time. He's writing who, three who, great boys. But, who I mistakenly called Jeremy, so I do apologize, Jared. I, I messed up. It was, uh, it was what we call a, a brain fart. It happens. I, that is the <laughs> scientific term for it. You can look it up. Well, yeah. Well, you know, this is live radio, baby. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, Charles, it was, it was great having you on the show. It was great co-hosting with you today. I, I know you'll be gone for the next uh, uh, two Saturdays. Uh, you'll be going off to uh, off to vacation for a little while, huh? Yes, going. Uh, we're going heading up to I think just one of the most beautiful places uh, in the world, in the state of California, for sure. We're heading up to uh, Mammoth and uh, oh, right, going right. to enjoy our time up there fishing, horseback riding, and I will be fully immersed in writing book three of the Necromancer's Pride Saga, Storm of Shadows. So I'm looking forward to oh. getting up there, losing myself in the, in the pages. I'm so looking forward to that. Charles, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we're we're going to close out the show now. Uh, anything else you'd like to say to our, our, our viewers before we take off? You know, I want to say first, uh, Steve, thank you for providing this forum to get together and talk movies and talk craft of of 
storytelling, not just movies, but storytelling. And, uh, you know, thank you for everything you do, everybody out there. Stay positive. Move forward. Keep creating. Our world is better with your art in it. Thank you, Charles. Listen, everybody, thank you very much for joining us today. This has been a fantastic show. We've had Adam Beck. What, what a great guy. We had Jared Rice. Another great guy. You can find Adam Beck on Facebook. You can IMDB him very easily. B-E-C-K, Adam Beck, cinematographer. Make movie you coming, Lindsay. After that, we had Jared Rice. Jared Rice, the writer. There were two great novels, Pork Chop Pride. I, I really liked that book a great deal. I thought Pork Chop Pride was, was a, a very well-written story. How did I money in your spare time? I've never read before, but that your sweet tickets it'll be on my my reading list he wrote Graveyard Boys and produced it with Sean Pacino and Julian in these studios that's going to be called Graveyard Boys thank you everybody for joining us today on Cinema Files Radio I'm your host Steve Pisa P-I-S-A you can find me on Facebook you can find me at akfcolorado.com find my Kung Fu School there. Master Steve Pisa, P-I-S-A. You can also find our radio show on Blog Talk Radio, Cinema Files Radio. Also find us on Facebook, Cinema Files Radio. You can download us from iTunes. There's really no excuses. You can find us everywhere. Again, I would like to thank Adam Beck, Jared Rice, and Charles David Carpenter for being my co-host on this great show. I enjoyed a great deal. Thank you to Lisa Pisa for producing the show today. You're fantastic. And thank you to all of you, the fans. Our numbers have increased every single show, which is why we continue to do it. Every single show, the numbers are increasing. The audience, the live audiences are increasing. The archive listeners are increasing. We're going to have Jason Momoa on very soon. We're going to have Vernon Wells at the end of the month. America Young very, very soon. We're looking at Ashton Kutcher being part of the show. So we have a lot of people that we're, we're looking at being part of the show. Please stay tuned. Please stay involved. The show is evolving as it goes along. And we want to bring you along for the ride. Remember, the most important thing in life is family. During this weekend, enjoy your family and love your family. Go watch a movie. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. If you want to watch the phone show, watch The Killer. Excuse me, The Killing. That was a mess, huh? Besides that, have yourself a great day and a great weekend. God bless you all. Thanks for listening in. I love you all. This is Steve Pisa for Cinema Files Radio. Thank you for joining us. Have yourself a great weekend.